0: Back in listeners to another fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have another amazing festival to bring to you. I'm so excited to be speaking about this. We are going to be speaking with two people from the 2023 Astro Genius Festival, whose theme this year is Band Together. It's being presented by Frigid New York and the Manhattan Theater Source. Uh, running February, or excuse me, it's running March 15th through April 2nd, and you will be able to catch shows at the Crane Theater, Under St. Mark's, Arts on Site, and the Decatur Street Community Garden. Joining us from the festival, we have the executive producer, Melissa Riker, and the co-producer, Mora Newen donahue So, Maura, Melissa, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Yeah. Thank
0: you, Andrew. This is exciting. I, I, so I heard about the Estrogenius Festival way back in the summer when I talked with Ares about Frigid's 25th you know, year. They went through like all the different festivals they have. And I remember the Estrogenius Festival, like it stuck out and I was like, oh, I want to know more about it, but we really didn't dig into it. So when I got the opportunity to be able to be like, yes, I want to speak with someone from it. I jumped on it. So here we are. I'm so excited. Uh, I want to start by asking, could you tell us a little bit more about the festival? And Melissa, why don't I kick that to you first?
1: Sure, thank you. So the festival started long ago. It is a twenty-two-year-old festival, and it was started as a short play festival out out of Manhattan Theater Source in their brick-and-mortar space on McDougal Street. Long, a long, long time ago, it was the one thing that made it out from Manhattan Theater Source. It was super successful while it was there. And it grew and has now grown to the East Village and our home is now at the Crane. Um, And the goal of the festival is to offer a platform to the voices that we feel need to be heard in this time. Um, It started as a women's work festival and it has grown to what is a femme, trans, non-binary festival of voices that we just want to uplift and be present.
0: I love that. Now, have both of you been with the festival for all 22 years? I would say that in it with, in a very broad sense, yes, <laughs> I have.
1: I was the one dancer wandering around Manhattan Theater Source, so I was part of making a little showcase happen on the side that was eventually called Women in Motion, that is now its own thing from Estrogenia. So, a beautiful thing from Estro is that a number of things have grown out of it there is an organization called girl be heard and that was started at estro Mm -hmm. as a time and a place for teens to be able to write their own stories and and women in motion is now a space for choreographers to be commissioned over a year so estrogenius is is a fantastic place that has offered more and more platforms to kind of roll out of it as it's grown up
2: when i don't actually remember when i came on board you remember what year it was time i've been really confused about time ever since 2020 it's kind of like you know we fell into a parallel universe and I'm yeah
1: i think more i think that i i think that it was 2016 or 2017. yeah yep
2: that makes sense right i, mean, I remember yeah. some of the conversations so definitely <laughs> definitely around the 2016 other slide into the other parallel universe as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, Laura, I want to stick with you with this next question. The theme this year is band together and that's band and then Ned in parentheses together. Where did you come up with the idea for this theme for the festival this year?
2: Well, I'm going to send that back to Melissa because that was actually something that was growing really, I think. In, it originated inside of your soul. So
1: <laughs> it's, I, it might be true. I think from conversations that we've had over the years, it just, it was a moment of, I mean, whenever I'm thinking about or are we're talking about what Estro wants to be paying attention to, it's always a very wide framework. And it just occurred to me that in the past number of years from pandemic to 2016, as we were saying, the idea of having a fem body of having a body that does not conform to what laws and rules would like it to or what opinions would like it to has become a more and more dangerous space to live mm-hmm. and from laws actually trying to shut bodies down going you know rolling back rover raid the the danger the constant danger that trans bodies are in uh the constant danger that a non-conforming body is in and the the danger that a femme body is in it just seemed like there was something where yes people kind of want to lock us down there is an entire party seeming to be dedicated to locking a feminine body down a female body down and what would it be if we all just stood together and stayed together and how do we present that so more i'm sure you have other things of
2: yeah absolutely that i mean i was so i feel like one of the things we're we're always trying to do is 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 get, get together, right? Is sort of organize, find each other, share space. And it that particular kind of theme of together has been a, a thread. And then just witnessing so much legislative effort to regulate bodies has been, it can be exhausting, but it also had to feed you know it had to feed action from the festival as well so it feels it feels important not only to sort of stand like gather in resistance but actually just that that gathering together in and of itself has been criminalized so finding ways to just make make people welcome into spaces feels like part of the work that we're doing
0: hmm. i mean both both powerful things now, I want to ask, what has it been like developing this year's festival? And even what's the process like that you, you both go through developing the festival itself? Should I start with, uh, Maura, can I start with you on that one? Is that all right?
2: You can. And I wish I wish your viewers could watch like an interpretive dance of very <laughs> like flurry. I'll do an audio description of like massive flurry and chaos. And I feel like there's a lot of chaos theory in, 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 in like pulling this thing together. There are some folks who have we've had relationships with over the years and it feels for me curationally one of the things i'm still kind of moving through is what independent artists are still trying to negotiate with after all of the shutdown of 2020 after what felt like just a a decimating sweep through of opportunity and Loss of jobs and and then our festival in at that moment too we were we were in tech as and we were getting messages that basically the shutdown was happening everywhere so we were actually right about to open shows in 2020 and I remember sitting in the theater at the Crane and an artist went oh well they just closed that down and they just shut that down and I was like everybody just go home (laughs) and so it feels even 3 years later like we're still really in in the wake of of a major shift to live performance and and who's around and so there are folks who I feel like I'm still trying to bring back to the festival who had been programmed for that year to do something live and we had shifted to digital so that feels like part of the stream too which is is like Trying not to leave folks behind and and checking in. I still feel like I'm checking in on like you know where you kind of you look around and you're wondering who's still around at this moment. So that's been, I'd say that's been one of the feelings is still still it actually still feels like a bit of um you know a, a rebuilding as well as doing that underneath this other kind of onslaught of of pressures. So. I don't know if that's really like the full process, but that's definitely just been an energetic flow of of the past few years of trying to, um, I still feel like we're in it.
0: Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that you have been able to put to put out there the, the idea of having to bring people back to the theater, not just audiences, but artists too. There's so many artists that when the pandemic hit, they were there like, no, this, they voiced not just, health concerns but you know there were inclusion concerns there were safety concerns or all these other concerns they're like it's just not worth it I'm done I'm going to go and do something else and it's we lost an entire like almost generation of people that just left the theater and and we are trying to fill that void so thank you for sharing that and, and, and bringing that to the attention of people Melissa, let me kick that question back to you. Uh, wh- what is the process like developing the festival? Do you do you take submissions? Do you seek out people? How how do you put this festival together? So for me, it's a it's a mix between.
1: We just restarted our application process. That in the former days of Estrogenius, it was always an application process, but as some who may do application processes, know that that takes a long time and it takes a lot of planning to make happen. So our current application process is for our series that we call Solo Voce, which is a one-person show that is usually written and performed by that person. So we did a submission series for that so we could really kind of open up who is coming through the doors and who we're putting into the space for that part of the series and that's the one that's at under St. Mark's so that's fantastic it's a intimate space 35 seats it gives a single performer the opportunity to just speak to people as though they're in their living room or create that space into a stage space and make it a wild environment for those 35 people and then in the other parts of the festival I make sure that it is that the eyes that are seeing the work out in the world go far beyond mine. Mora is incredibly important to that, knowing that Mora's voice is in the mix of, of curators, so beyond producing but also having a vision of how the curation of evenings will go. And then John Robinson is someone who is a friend and a major advocate of live performance and a major advocate of live performance that really pushes boundaries and pushes edges. And so I've pulled him in as a curator. And then we also get some curation from the folks at Frigid. So sometimes that's through Eras, sometimes it's through someone on staff who's really inspired by artists that are out there in the world. So we try to just make sure that there's a wide, a, a broad series of voices going out there and pulling people in. And in the past, we've actually even brought in special guest curators, and I'm looking forward to doing that again where we have artists that maybe we've produced in a different way, where we ask them to then curate other artists that didn't happen this year, but it has happened in past years. And it's been some of my favorite kind of this person knows this person's work, which then knows this person's work. And it it just creates a, a wonderful web of artists connecting.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, I look forward to that coming back then. That would be amazing. What is the message or thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from the festival this year? And Melissa, why don't I start with you on that one? Sure.
1: So there is such a broad swath of kinds of art or kinds of voices that are happening this year that I think I would love. Yes, I would love people to walk away feeling like If they've seen multiple shows that they've felt a sense of unity amongst different kinds of artists that there is. Something in the energy of all of these artists that we're putting forward that is about passion and drive and also kindness, they all have that as a, as a thread that moves through their work. And then there's this other thing that's kind of a different way of listening, a different way of listening to one another that. When I think about the full festival altogether, I wonder if people can walk away with that sort of sense.
0: Hmm. I like that. Maura, I want to kick it over to you with that. What is the thought or message you're hoping audiences will take away? Woo, that's
2: good. That's like a tasty one. And and um, <laughs> Melissa's answer was so beautiful. And I'm, try- and I'm also trying to think because, you know, it's kind of this curation is a compositional act and so and there's a and there's a trust in the process that the thing will reveal itself to you as you're making it right. It is an entire act of devising where it sometimes feels like not exactly a, a, a blank slate, but you start to kind of fill things in and you're looking at times and people's availabilities and is this the right match for a program and I do quite a few quite a quite a few of the ones I curated are shared programs, shorter works that are shared, and just thinking about who do I want, who do I actually, often I think about who do I want among the artists crossing paths with one another. Hmm. So regardless of, not regardless, but in addition to sort of thinking what a, a viewer is receiving, it, I I think about the possibility of connections that are getting made behind the scenes when people just have to share a dressing room or share resources. And so in a way, sometimes I get so in the details of that. I, I wonder about like the, the the bigger thing. I do this year is more so even than than in the past. I have a lot of folks who are have an affiliation with Hunter College, which is where I teach. I actually, direct the MFA in dance, and I so I have folks who've passed through here or teach here or are grad students or undergrads and. Part of that is because the population of Hunter College is New York City, public education. So these these are New Yorkers, you know, born in the Bronx, raised in the Bronx, folks who, for some folks, it this could be the first gig or the first Manhattan gig. And I, one of those things, as well as some other folks who are in here who have come, a lot of them come through relationships I have as a member of La Mama's Great Jones Repertory Theater Company. So experimental theater stuff across the street from the paint crane. That also, that company also is such an important um representation of like intercultural, interracial, multi-generational, like all of these gatherings of different kinds of people. So the If I had to say, like, if I had to answer this, not this way, but in the elevator pitch version, I would say the thing I want people to walk away from when they see something that I've curated is how profoundly awesome, how wicked awesome, as they'd say, if you were in Rhode Island, which is where I was raised, is wicked awesome how different people are and that they can still share space and make like such different kinds of work and still come together. I feel like there's there's sort of like a hidden agenda in, in terms of like the celebration of difference that feels really important when we're being persecuted for not maintaining a really specific, I'm going to throw all the words like heteronormative, patriarchal, white supremacist, like dominant culture. And so I feel like when you see the programs that I curate, they're not, a, they're, they're about everything other than that. So just, you know, celebrating what is treated as 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 different.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, the, this is getting me so excited for this festival. Ah. Oh. So I, I want to wrap up the first part of this conversation. I want to build on party rants tomorrow by asking, who are you hoping have access to this festival?
2: Yeah, I hope. I mean, I'm thinking about, this is, I might be jumping a question, but I'm thinking about an artist like Corey Supernova, Lulegas, who um, we've had on before a couple of times and her soul soul dance company, you know, fills out the stage. She's, she's queer, she's Afro, Latina, and she's what I'm thinking, you know, she was born and raised in the Bronx. And I'm thinking about the audiences that support her work and, and being able to come downtown and see, see her, you know, in a space like that. And having that community present and celebratory. And, you know, when we're talking about hunter folks and and most of the folks that are um, curating, they're coming in, you know, they're they're either Latinx or they're black, African American, Afro-American, queer, trans. And so the artists that get represented come through this spectrum, Asian American, Asian diaspora. And I'm thinking about Yvonne Chow's hashtag unapologetically Asian hip hop performance work and how each of those artists has their own communities that they're really engaging with around issues of representation. And so I'm hoping that those folks, you know, follow the artists and then that the, the festival folks also get to celebrate Maybe this, this opportunity to have folks brought into to a place that they're, you know, they, they know the path already and then getting to connect with that. Younger artists, Portia Wells, trans performance artist who's making a work with within the trans community. So just really trying to celebrate the artists, but also activate their communities to to come and gather and share. I'm, I'm sure there's more names that are going to come in a minute, but I've just been thinking <laughs> think about it like in a way in relation to like these artists and their communities and who they're representing
0: for. And yeah. Amazing. Melissa, what about you? Who do you hope have access?
1: Well, I think, I mean, kind of to, to go off of what Maura is saying that the thing that I love about this festival is that we go in so many different directions that all of these people are basically in the same place. That there's an opportunity for all of these individuals to see one another and to also know that they're on the same platform. So that Corey's work is on the same platform as an artist from BC, Canada, who's Vanessa Goodman, who's you know coming across the country to be performing. Will be performing on the stage same stage space as an artist who's born and lived in the Bronx, and hopefully. In an ideal world, they get to see one another's work. And I, you know, schedules are what they are and artists' schedules are what they are. But even just knowing that everyone's sharing space feels important. So I'm hoping that people who, so Vanessa's work paired with Slow Danger, who are sound experimentalists, I'm hoping that folks who come to hear how sound is being experimented with will also understand the power of a body expressing that folks who are interested in individuals telling solo stories will realize that there's also so much dance happening at the other theater that they could see a solo show and then later that night go see some dance that's happening that's fierce and amazing and taking up this space. So the the audiences I think that are prime for Astrogenius are audiences who are interested in dialogue that is not surface their their audience that are interested in finding both kind of the pain and the joy of why live performance exists that you know it's there to to push the questions it's also there to help you celebrate when you feel like you can't and i feel like our, our 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 audiences could really come from all boroughs because our art our artists are coming from all over the place So it could really be a central point for folks to just be like, I wanna see something that's in a space that I don't usually go to. I wanna see something that is a little bit different than what I normally sit down and watch. And I'm going to enjoy myself this evening because these artists are here on purpose. They've been selected to be here. There is an energy and a reason that they're here and and just come and be part of this broader celebration that's going to continue happening.
0: The second part of our interview, I want to now shift and give our audience members a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better. So I want to kick things off by asking what shows playwrights or composers in the past have inspired you. Melissa, is it okay if I stick with you? A show, a show that changed my world
1: is by a company called CloudGate. And it was at BAM in probably 2004 ish. And it was about there was rice falling from the sky onto someone's hands for probably 10 minutes, the first 10 10, 15 minutes of the show was just this stream of rice being slowly lit at first, you didn't know what it was, it was just a stream falling from the ceiling and being lit a little at a time. And, and beautiful and falling to the stage and, and creating this pile of something on the stage. And I feel like from an for me as an artist, it was a moment of remembering patience and remembering beauty. And that this idea of rebellion in quiet and impatience. So for an artwork perspective, that was that was a giant moment for me in my mind that I will never ever forget. I'll never forget what it was like to slowly watch that lit realize what it was and then watch it pile up onto the stage before the dancers started moving through it. And a playwright that I love is Tom
0: Stoppard. You can't I, go wrong with Tom Stoppard. I feel like he just And then I have better, and better.
1: Yeah. And I have a couple of extreme biases to Sheila Callahan and Aaron Courtney, who are two absolutely brilliant playwrights that you
0: should check out. Maura, what Woo! about. Okay,
2: this is a hard <laughs> one. I, I, you know, this thing too when, when like when I'm on the other side of a lot of interviews and admissions and I always feel bad for that kind of that thing of like memory recollection and I'm not sure it sounds smart like I always think oh I would fail this in interviews these days no matter how much like lion's mane I take or ginkgo. I'm gonna not you know I've outsourced I've outsourced memory to google so but thank you so so we for going first Melissa because it gave me a second but yeah I mean I did go I thought, what's the fir- one of the first things that blew my mind? And I'm going back to being an undergrad in the 1900s and seeing Senkai actually, which was a French butoh troupe. So they were doing Japanese butoh. And it was something similar, Melissa, where it was like, it, the piece was called The Egg Stands Out of Curiosity. And there was water pouring from the ceiling at UMass, Backer, or, or UMass Fine Arts Center. Oh, And they were holding an egg. Yeah, so... Clearly, we're, we can both be mesmerized by, you know, slow moving, <laughs> visually captivating moments. But I actually think I'm going to roll with something I was in. So I joined La Mama's Great Jones Repertory Company in 97 to do a remount of their, what's that called? Like, their you know, their, their most famous work that kind of put the company on the map in the 70s, which is... The Trojan Women, and it was composed by Elizabeth Suedos, and it was directed by André Serban, and that was immersive theater from a time, you know, from this kind of moment when the country was being, was just sort of radically cracking things open, and open theater, and living theater, and, you know, just... The, the audience gets moved around and pushed around. So it's like site-specific work before that was even a, a phrase. And we're, we're singing in ancient Greek or made-up languages that this young composer had made. And so the audience, the audience becomes like part of the town square. And I was, you know, I'm up there in a cart. Helen and I'm screeching at the audience, and then they're throwing mud at me or whatever. It's like that kind of theater, and I've I've come to realize like that was an early enough experience in a a non-sort of formalized way that that experiential kind of artodian theatrical experience where the physical body is going through through something along with the audience forged all sorts of things in terms of my own making. And that other shows that I think of, like De La Garda or Here Lies Love, as these these spaces that I wanted to return to. And then I realized that part of what I I am really looking for, like I, the ritualistic kind of mysterious Dionysian, you know, transformation aspect of performance work is something that I get that I find a lot of satisfaction in. So I'm well, I don't know if I still am, I don't know, COVID changed a lot of things. But the that that thing where it it feels like it's sort of a blur, and you're in something that, um, that isn't necessarily quite so safe, or passive for you as a viewer was something that I, I, I just, I loved. And I, and I sought out those kinds of experiences. And I when I think about it, I'm like, Oh, it's because you did Trojan Women then, and then we did it, you know, and I was doing it, I was joining a cast, the cast was touring to Seoul, Korea, so my first gig with the company was in Korea, and we were in residency with that com- with that theatre company for a month and, and working with them, and so we did that show, you know, toured it a lot and performed it because it didn't rely on English, so we could go all around the world it was built around spectacle and sound and energetic flow and movement and so it was it was a work that could travel even though it had a large cast and i feel like that i'm a writer so i do a lot in english but i i i feel like that thing too of making work that can can reach across linguistic borders also feels important but has a message embedded into it and with children women the message is like the perils, the human peril of war, like what the remnants of what happens after Troy gets sacked and what happens to the women in that community as they're about to be like ripped from each other and brought, you know, brought to new places. So it all feels like, right, everything kind of flowed through that moment. And um, I just continue to feel ripples of that.
0: Amazing. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? Uh, Maura, I'm going to stick with you on this.
2: Oh, this is so great. You know, you're catching me on the other side of working with La Mama on an NEA grant that was, is, was due today. And, you know, trying to say, why now? Like, why, why this project? And why now? And, and going, okay, well, I know that everyone's going to say, you know, a chance to connect with our own humanity. Like that, everybody's going to like, check. But I... I get excited, and I'm thinking about a playwright actually who we've collaborated with, just worked with at, for Great Jones Repertory Company at on a project called Nawageo, which means shipwreck. And the, sorry, the playwright is Eric N. And he was dean of theater at Kel Arts, and he was head of the playwriting graduate program at Brown. And he quit all of that, and he went back to like theology school, and then and now he's at the University of New Mexico. And he's written long, like, he'll write, like, like 17 plays about St. Paul. Or he had written, you know, I think they did, like, maybe years ago, they did, like, a 24-hour series of plays where he's looking at genocide, right, as part of, like, the 20th century. And so the way he kind of comes into this and the reasons he left academia and then went away for a while and then came back is, is something that I think he and I find a kinship with which is that theater should serve like theater should serve and I feel like that's a thing I get really excited about that it it isn't just to remind us of our own humanity but it it's actually to I mean for me it 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 wants to awaken a response in in the viewer right it wants the viewer to have like a you know, whatever, kinesthetic, empathetic response to, to what's happening and to feel and think. And I hope sometimes like change, right? I, I, want, I want my experiences in theater to change me. And not just in that, like I laughed or I cried or, but that I was given, like a, I was fed a really good meal and some of it might've been really bitter and I'm going to like work through like the bitter melon soup and get the nourishment anyway. So is that an answer to your question? I don't know. I was like, what? Laundry,
0: but- no, that was <laughs> wonderful. Melissa, what about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? <sighs> wow. I'm Well, I can't follow that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But (laughs) so here's, here's what I'll say, I, as an artist, I actually don't work in the theater. I work outside of theaters. So my job in the theater is to bring other people to it. I see my favorite part of theater in within spaces is to offer as much space as I can to the people who want to step into it. So. I love that it can be a blank slate and that someone's imagination can just be revealed into it. I love that in a theater like the crane with the spinning doors in the back that we've had we've had artists who have chosen to use those spinning doors as entrances and exits. We've had artists who have chose to keep them open so you can actually see into the dressing room. So taking the theater space that the audience is sitting in and extending and extending it into the artist's imagination. I love that a dance piece can just take over a space, a a blank space, add music like Corey's performance, for instance, where music takes over the entire space and dancing is, feels like it's everywhere. My inspiration of theater and theater spaces is that it's it is i see it as my role as a producer and a curator to open it up and bring people in i
0: love that and melissa what a perfect segue into my favorite question to ask guests which is what is your favorite theater memory melissa are you ready with one so
1: i can i can offer a really a a, a wonderful theater memory. I can't promise that it's my favorite, but okay. um, it's very recent and Mora was involved actually. <laughs> Vanessa's Vanessa's show. There was a studio showing of a dance, dance theater performance. I would say it probably qualifies as experimental dance theater upstairs at New York Live Arts in January as part of the January mayhem of New York City. And Maura, will you help me with the pronunciation of Vanessa's last name? ANSPA. Yeah. Yeah. So this, I had been seeing multiple showcase performances. I had seen a number of shows in theaters, finished shows in theaters. And, you know, lights and all of the things. And I sat down into this space and watched incredibly wise, brilliant, movers and performers just slowly remind me what performance is that there is a rawness to it that there is a a deep humanness to it and then there is also the way that it raises your sense of what is real and it goes goes further than your sense of what is real and I know that it was just a studio showing and I know that it had a life on stage before I saw it. And this was a moment where all of the things were kind of put into a smaller space than it was supposed to be, but it was still exactly what I needed to see right at that moment. And I feel like that's part of what a theater experience should offer or has the ability, it's not always gonna succeed that way, right? But it's one of the things that however, wild the performance is or however minimalist the performance is there's this feeling of i needed that i needed that to move me i needed that to move my brain bend my brain a little bit i needed it to shake me up i needed it to let me breathe and find some joy i think that also connects to what more was saying before but yeah that was a super successful performance experience
0: for me as an audience member ah. That's a wonderful memory. No, it's great. Thank you.
2: Thank you. That's so, <laughs> I'm like, I'm just like whatever. Hair, hair toss a little bit. <laughs> um, no, I mean, and thank you for giving me a second. <laughs> I, I was like, and and now I'm gonna struggle. Like I can't filter down to the to the one, the only. The a recent one was seeing "Ain't No More" on um, on Broadway. Right, like it was. I think I, I thought it was the last show and it got extended just a little bit more. But that show, I I, mean, I don't know if you can swear, it. that was motherfuckingly brilliant, right? It was just deeply entertaining. It ripped my heart open, full of history. Like it just was, it felt like beautifully crafted, incredibly performed and just like searing, right? It just like ripped at the sort of heart of, of American culture. And I I just, I was like, no one needs to make any other like, you know, it was like one of those, I just was, it was really, um, a really an incredible show. And I just, I hope it, you know, I hope it turns into a, whatever it need, you know, it needs more, even if it's well, ain't no more, I get it. <laughs> but I kind of also just wanted to go back to a moment where I feel like also things changed for me. And I, you know, didn't think about this one, which was, I was living in Seattle and, I saw a work by Ping Chong and it was called Strangeness. Mm? Darn it, oh, I shouldn't. Anyway, it was about a group of friends, but one of the friends is in a gorilla suit the whole time. And so it's a commentary on otherness. And I just remember, you know, this is right, like I've graduated from college and I've driven across the country and I've run out of money thinking I was going to San Francisco and so I'll stay in Seattle and was just joining the cast of a Berkeley Repertory Theater production of a show called Dragon Wings, which was a Lawrence Yep young adult novel that was turned into a show. And it was, you know, so it was like focused on sort of younger people and very Asian American. And and I went to go see Ping thinking like, oh, this, this, this is like this famous Asian American artist. And I thought it was going to like, I don't know if people will know this reference, but like Joy Luck Club me like it was gonna like overwhelmingly tell me the the like sad narrative and instead it just handled this this thing about being you know so being treated like you're something else in society and all it was was like having somebody be like in a gorilla costume for the whole play and I just remember being like oh it can be handled like it can be handled in so many other ways besides besides like telling us everything right besides like sort of didactically telling us everything and i and i bring that up because it's really not my style i will i like to hit people over the head but i just i feel like it's one of my sort of favorites because it's like that ginger that reminds like cleans your palate and reminds you like of like all the different flavors that are possible so yeah that just came up and i was like yeah that i don't know if it really influenced my work but i feel like it's it's like sat in my heart for a long time i would Ping actually as an artist is somebody, I th- and I, maybe he's in my head because he just kind of, he celebrated his 50th anniversary and is stepping away as artistic director of his, his own company. And so there's there's something that's also sort of shifting, you know, there's a big transition there. And yeah, just want to remember what an influence I think um, he's had on me over the
0: I am interested in this show. Now I'm going to do a Google search and find out about it. Cause how, how odd, but also how brilliant at the same time, just the simplicity of it. Thank you for sharing them. Thank you both for sharing those memories. As we wrap this interview up, I want to ask, are there any other productions or projects that either of you have going on that we might be able to plug for you?
2: Well, I I would, I'm going to, I'm going to double down on a plug for the festival, but I know that's already happening. And then I just, Great Jones just did a little thing last night and we're, we're just workshopping stuff to go up next year. So we'll hit you up. We'll hit you up soon to, to talk to folks then, but I'm really going to focus on this festival. I hope.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and- I would say, I mean, estrogenius.nyc is the place to, place to go right now and the tickets will be live very very soon and there are so many so many amazing spaces that this festival is going into including this garden in Brooklyn and arts on site which is a space that maybe some theater goers don't know but it's a wonderful dance space and then the work that i do is outside so we're going to wait until it's a little nicer out um, and that is kinesisproject.com is my dance company And we have things happening all summer.
0: As Maura said, Estrogenius is the focus right now. And that is a great lead into my final question, which is if our listeners want more information about the Estrogenius Festival or about the two of you, maybe they want to reach out to you too. How can they do that?
1: They can find us on Instagram at Estrogenius and they can find us at our
0: website, estrogenius.nyc. My guests today have been the executive producer, Melissa Riker, and co-producer, Mora Newen donahue who are the producers of the 2023 Estro Genius Festival, whose theme, Band Together, is being done March 15th through April 2nd. It's being presented by Frigid New York and Manhattan Theater Source. You can catch performances at the Crane Theater, Under St. Mark's, Arts on Site, and Decatur Street Community Garden. And you can get your tickets and more information at frigid.nyc or estrogenius.nyc. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a
1: stage whisper.
0: Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at StageWhisperPod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray.